How's everybody doing? All right, let me ask that for everybody else to get an opportunity to respond. How's everybody doing? All right, I'm looking forward to diving into scripture this morning. As Pastor Denise shared, this is the first Sunday of Advent. And for those of you that are not familiar with that term, uh, personally, I didn't grow up uh, from being familiar with that term. I didn't really understand what it meant. But it's a period of time that the church has historically celebrated the incarnation of Jesus. The four Sundays leading up to Christmas Day, the church has reflected on this incredible miracle when God became a human being, entered into his very own creation, and redeemed the world from within. So we're going to be looking at passages of Scripture over the next four weeks in an attempt to wrap our hearts around this reality and to see what God has to say to us. Today's passage is a heavy passage, so let's prepare ourselves for what might be a tough ride. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 and onward, it says this, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been born in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Would you join me in prayer? Lord Jesus, we come to your word this morning. We pray that you would speak to us. We come with expectant hearts. Holy Spirit, would you glorify Jesus, reveal him in a transformative way to each and every one of us. 
And may we grow in our love and our affection for you, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You know, as Christmas season is upon us and we are entering to the first week of Advent, uh, it always makes me reflect on my upbringing and my relationship to Christmas. Um, I don't know about you, but uh, this season just brings up a lot of memories, a lot of nostalgia, a lot of um, traditions, and uh, uh, as a way of just connecting, getting to know each other. Um, I thought I'd share some of my weird, interesting Christmas experiences. One, I never opened up a gift on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. Christmas, for me, would come sometime late October, early November. You'd say, Chris, that's weird. Explain yourself. I'm glad you're so curious. Let me tell you why. The moment I would find out my mom had gifts in the house and nothing got past my radar, I was like a hound. Mom, give me the gifts, give me the gifts, give me the gifts, give me the gifts. Mom, 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 give me the gifts, give me the gifts. I promise, I promise, I promise. I clean the house, give me the gifts, gifts, gifts. I drove the poor woman crazy that legitimately several weeks before Christmas, she's, here, just take it, just take it, just take it, just give it this. And then what would happen? Come Christmas, we'd go over family's house or, our, you know, whatever, and it would just be super sad for me. Because everybody's opening up their gifts, and it's like, this happened weeks ago for me. This doesn't feel right. And so now as an adult, um, no exaggeration, I still have to fight that urge. Um, my wife has been my restraining force. And so like, when we'll get gifts for the kids, we're like, you know, let's give it to them now. She's like, no, no, it's just, just one, just one, just one. And so, um, so in the midst of that weird Christmas experience, one thing that we would always do every holiday um, we would go over some family's house, and we would have these big dance parties. I don't know if you have ever been to a Latino dance party. I don't know. We have incredible powers to take a small living room and make it look like it's a large dance hall. I don't know for that night where the furniture went, but it just was open, and um, no adult supervision for the kids, and so kids would be running around all over the place. I am a testament to God's faithfulness that I'm still alive because I survived many Latino Christmases. And so people would be dancing and having fun. Fast forward to when I become a Christian, and as we get into this text, what I realize is that I grew up understanding conceptually that Christmas was about Jesus, but experientially, it was about us. It was about our traditions, about our family, about feeling certain things within ourselves. And so when we get to this text and we examine the first Christmas, you have to realize what we just read was the first Christmas, the very first one. And what we read here and what and when we read here and compare it to our experience of Christmas, wouldn't you say it's a radical difference from the first Christmas to what we experience? There's nothing in this text that screams Hallmark movie. Nothing in this text that screams fuzzy warm feelings and apple cider. Nothing in this text that talks about Traditions, actually what we first encounter in this text and what we see it kind of on bookends 
is this experience of promises and pain. We see that the Christmas season, Advent, is a time, the first one in particular, where there were promises of God fulfilled, prophetic promises that were uh, foretold and came to pass, but they happened in the context of incredible pain. The promise of God for a Messiah to come, for a Savior, a King to be born, a promise that was first uttered at the very first moments in Genesis 3, When humanity pushed God out of the center of our lives and chose to be rebellious and live independent lives and say, we'll determine right from wrong apart from you, and and they they pushed God out, from that very moment when we broke covenant, God said, there'll there'll come one, a seed, from your seed, Eve, will come one, and he will redeem. From that moment, that prophetic promise continued to be uttered throughout the ages, and it's finally fulfilled, but it's fulfilled on a canvas of great pain. I think in our attempts to sanitize Christmas, to commercialize it, this form of Christmas doesn't sell well. You don't don't go to 34th Street, Harrow Square, and buy this form of Christmas. No one wants this form of Christmas, a Christmas that has promises and pain. Because actually, when we think about it, Christmas, the the first Advent season, is horrifying. It's absolutely horrific. But what that compels us to lean in and understand is that God often fulfills his promises in the midst of pain. God often fulfills his promises in the midst of pain. And perhaps you're in a season where the best word to describe this season is not promise but pain. And you're going through a difficult time and you're experiencing isolation and depression and fear and anxiety, you're you're experiencing betrayal and confusion, wherever you are at, if it's categorized by pain, the first Christmas causes us to pause and consider what promise might God be fulfilling even now in the midst of our pain. Because our God has not ceased to work in this way, that even at the darkest moments, his light breaks through. This season is a season of hope, but it's not a season of hope that's fanciful. It's not a romantic kind of hope that denies reality. It is a hope that's tethered to reality, and it's a hope that bursts forth through pain. God doesn't deny our pain in order to fulfill his promise. He fulfills his promise despite the pain that we're going through. That's a word that I think we need to cling on to right now, especially if you're in a season that's marked by pain, to know that that does not inhibit God from breaking through and fulfilling his promise. It certainly did not in the first advent, first Christmas. But look at what happens. I want to focus the rest of our time on two reactions to this incredible promise that was fulfilled, the promise of a Messiah being born. And we see the first reaction was by King Herod. Look at what it says, verse 1 to 3. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod 
heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. Can you say that word with me, disturbed? Now, I don't know, when at first glance at this word, I think of what happens almost every Thanksgiving. It's a ritual. I wait for it. It just happens, whether I want it to happen or not. After we have, by the way, how many people are fans of turkey? You know, not everybody. That's amazing, right? Um, Some people prefer another bird or another animal. Some people don't eat anything on this day. They choose to abstain all sorts of people in this world. Um, I've been a turkey dude for a long time. Don't have any issues with the bird. Um, However, as you know, when you consume enough of it, you go into that turkey coma afterwards. And so every Thanksgiving, I wait for it, consume enough, and then there's a recliner at my aunt's house, and that's my recliner for that day. And I go there, and I just knock out, like cold. And inevitably, what happens? The kids start running around, and one of them bumps up against me and disturbs me out of my sleep. You ever been disturbed out of your sleep? It's not a pleasant experience. This is not the kind of disturbed that is referred to about Herod, where just like kind of lightly awakened or just kind of jostled a little bit. No, the word drums up intense emotions of fear, being deeply unsettled, Life doesn't make sense anymore, being totally rocked. Imagine the contrast of a little kid waking you up out of sleep, no warning, to a car coming out of nowhere and crashing into you. Herod's world has been disturbed. And the question we have to ask is, why would a vulnerable little baby being born into this world disturb a king? The reason why it so utterly rocked him and sideswiped him and he didn't see it coming and completely unsettled his world is because he knew that this was no ordinary king. For him, his power as a king was amassed through fear, through domination, through threats of violence. But this king, from his very birth, was being worshipped. And he was being foretold as a king who would be unlike any other king, a king who would eventually die for his subjects. This is unlike any other king in the history of kings. Kings normally have their subjects die for them. But this king was foretold that he would be a sacrificial lamb. And Herod knew that this king had the power to disturb and disrupt all forms of earthly power. He was rightly disturbed. He should have been disturbed because he knew that this king would unsettle the way he exercised power. And we read the lengths to which his disturbance went, where he massacred little boys under the age of two just to be safe, just to eliminate the possibility of maybe they got the timing wrong. And he eliminated all of these kids. So you have to imagine the first Christmas was not mistletoe and town halls, you know, town centers with lights. There was weeping. 
inconsolable pain. There's no pain like the pain of a mother experiencing loss. And the first Christmas was marked by that because Herod was disturbed. An earthly king was disturbed by the power of a heavenly king. That's one reaction to the birth of Jesus. But the other reaction is the Magi. We read in the first verses we read, they came all the way from the east to worship the king who was born. If Herod was disturbed, their reaction was one of devotion. For them, they were not threatened by the birth of this king. Actually, they were, worship was evoked from them in response to this amazing event. So much so that at great peril, at great cost, at great risk, they traveled from very far. Now you have to understand that this was a traveling experience that we don't have too few comparisons in our day and age. Have you ever taken a long road trip? What's the longest road trip you've taken? Scream out some states. Come on, talk to me. Florida. Florida. That's a long one. Anybody else? Florida. What? Colorado. Colorado? If somebody says Jersey, I'm going to scream. <laughs> Stand Island. No. Uh, or, or from wet East Coast to West Coast. These are long road trips. By and large, they're mapped out. They have wonderful pit stops along the way. If you get thirsty, if you need to use the facilities, uh, America has thought about that. And so throughout the highways, you have multiple opportunities to refuel. To That was not the kind of trip that the Magi took. Along the way, at multiple junctures, almost on a constant daily basis, they could be robbed, they could be killed, left on the side of the road. They, they, they could start the journey and never finish it. They could hit inclement weather. At any moment, there could be a sandstorm. There could be all sorts of things. Now, imagine if we could put ourselves in their place. Think of all the legitimate struggles, inconveniences, difficulties you've had on any given Sunday to come and worship. Remember that morning where the coffee maker didn't work? Remember that morning where there was some slight traffic? Remember that morning? We Despite all of those legitimate things, were our lives ever threatened? Was there a sandstorm that could consume us? No, there was there were relatively not much inconvenience. But yet, look at how deep their devotion was that they pressed through despite all those things. And their one purpose and target was to worship the king who had been born. And in fact, I won't ruin this for you. I, I dare you to do a Bible study this week. Study up the significance of the gifts that they brought to Jesus. That's a sermon in and of itself. They, they were intent to worship Jesus in the most meaningful way. Their response was not one of disturbance. Their response was one of devotion. And it was a devotion that was marked by this long, arduous journey. You could not have two different responses to the birth of Jesus. One was disturbance to the point of destroying children, and one was worship despite the difficulty and the challenging circumstances. 
Let's unpack both of those. Because here's what I believe is important for us to reflect on. It's not just Herod that should be uncomfortable or should be disturbed by the birth of Jesus. All of us should be disturbed by the birth of Jesus. Now, I know that might be unsettling because, wait, no, I thought Jesus being born is a good thing. And, and why should that disturb me? The reason why it should disturb us, even though we're not a despot like Herod, even though we're not some power-hungry dictator, the reason why it should disturb us is because fundamentally Jesus did not come to comfort us in our tendency to be our own king. Jesus came to disturb that. Loving Jesus, compassionate Jesus, friendly Jesus, friend of sinner Jesus, that Jesus came and his birth inaugurated a declaration that there will be no other king but him. Every other king should be disturbed in the presence of Jesus because Jesus did not come to be liked. He came to be worshipped. He didn't come for us to just accommodate a nice little section of our lives for him. He came for all of it. Don't be upset at me. I'm just the delivery person. I'm just delivering the news from Scripture. This is every account of Scripture, every road of Scripture is pointing to this declaration. Jesus has come to be king of all. And any other king in his presence should be disturbed. And so this season, in the midst of all of our great traditions and the fun with family and all the opportunities to celebrate who Jesus is, every year this time of year should have a deep disturbing effect on you and I because every year should remind us there's only one king, and that king is not me. Jesus has come to disturb every single tendency in you and I to live independent lives apart from him to make decisions apart from him, to live outside of his lordship, to respond to situations without first checking in with him and, and letting him shape how we should respond to situations. On a daily basis, whenever you're faced with a decision, the decision before you is very simple. Will I respond as if I'm king or will I respond as if Jesus is king? Very recently, I had this conversation, and it was a disturbing conversation. It was a, a, you know, a, a conversation around race and politics and uh, Republican, Democrat, you know, really one of those light conversations, one of those things that, as a pastor, I just get all fuzzy and rosy inside. It's like, yes, this is what I imagined. I would spend so much time uh, telling people and discipling people in this area. Forget, like, loving your neighbor. But, yeah, let's talk about, you know, QAnon. And so um, <laughs> it was rough. Here's why it was rough. Because everything in me wanted to respond as if I was king. And I kept having to check in with Jesus and say, Jesus, how do you want me to respond? And I was surprised that Jesus was not signing off on some of the things I wanted to say. Just like, Jesus, this, this is a really good one-liner right now. This, this, 
Let me share this. I think this could be of help. <laughs> nope. Walked away from that conversation, just another vivid reminder of the things that we would do if we were king versus the things that we're called to do under his lordship. You realize the lordship of Jesus directs us to love people that we would very easily want to dismiss and close the chapter on. The lordship of Jesus calls us to be listeners and to be present and to not cast judgment on people that in our own instincts we would want to just label and cast judgments and close the door on. The lordship of Jesus calls us to do things that our comfort would resist. Every year, this time of year should disturb us. But every year, this time of year should call us to devotion. But not just any devotion. If we are framing this idea, now this is utterly convicting. If we are saying that we are devoted to Jesus and we are comparing it to modern followers of Jesus in America, I think we have some further processing that needs to be done. Because by and large, so much of worship of Jesus in America is around the comfort of the worshiper. Trust me, I've been in those meetings. I've been in those gatherings with other pastors and, and, and constantly the thought is, how can we make people comfortable? And so we want to preach comfortable messages. We want to preach, we want to sing comfortable songs. We want to create comfortable environments. Please hear me, nothing wrong with a comfortable environment, nothing wrong with a message that brings comfort, but there is something deeply wrong when the object of worship is our sensibilities and no one wanting to ruffle our feathers when we have an example from the very first Christmas that worship was not categorized or seen as from the lens of the comfort of the worshiper. Imagine hanging out with some of these magi and saying, can you define worship how do you see worship? It would be deeply convicting for them to say that their idea of worship involved great pain, great discomfort, disorienting journey, the threat of their life. We love Jesus, but do we love him to the point that our lives would be, we'd be willing to lay our lives down in order to worship him? That's what this season calls us to reflect on. I've known people that have left a church for the slightest offense, and yet these folks were so committed to worship Jesus that nothing would hinder them from being in the presence of others to worship the King. When our idea of worship is around our comfort, we will be robbed of the kind of worship that these men and women experienced. This season, when we look at their lives, it's an invitation to ask ourselves, is the, is the direction of our lives heading toward Jesus? See, for them, worship was a journey that was heading toward Jesus and refusing to be stopped, sidetracked, hindered, it didn't matter what they would face, their lives were heading toward Jesus. I think that's a beautiful picture for us to wrap our, our hearts around, realizing that worship is a long journey. Worship is not a one-day event. 
Worship is not 90 minutes once a week. Worship is a journey of life headed in the direction of Jesus. And some days are easy, some days are not, but you keep heading in that direction regardless of what you will face. That's what the Magi speak to us. And when we look at these two reactions to the birth of Jesus and we mesh them together, this season, every year, should both disturb us and evoke devotion in us. Because every year we celebrate the good news that Jesus came into this world and how that disturbs our desire for power and control. Every year we celebrate the living God coming in the form of a vulnerable baby. And what does that speak to us who love to seek power and control that our God would humble himself to that point. The living God humbles himself for the sake of proud humanity so that proud people could have the privilege to humble themselves in worship. He humbled himself so that you and I could have the opportunity to humble ourselves in worship. And here's where both of those things get linked together. You and I can't grow in our devotion to Jesus unless we grow in our experience of him disturbing us. When Jesus disturbs your sense of lordship, control, power, and you realize I'm not the king of my life, I can't control what I think I can control, I'm not in power, life should not be all about me, when that penetrates our hearts, it creates room for us to worship Jesus. Can I tell you the biggest obstacle in our way of worshiping Jesus is the worship of self. It's not song style. It's not the room that we're in. It's not all the things that typically you know, we associate with getting us in a place of worship. Most of the time, the biggest hindrance in us worshiping Jesus is our desire to worship ourselves. But when you and I are disturbed by Jesus, it creates room to be devoted to Jesus. And I think this is so critical for us in this day and age, where if we're not careful, many of us can easily fall into the misled trap to think that we can profess closeness to Jesus without a true surrender to him. It's easier to sing about surrendering to Jesus than actually surrendering to him. But every year, this time of year, God comes like a heat-seeking missile. Say, I want to dethrone you on the throne of your life. Unabashedly, he puts all the cards on the table I've come to remove you from the throne and to help you see that I've been on the throne all along. Life only makes sense. It makes the most sense. It works the best. It flourishes easiest. When Jesus is on the throne, life ceases to work 
Life ceases to flourish when you and I are on the throne. Our marriages fall apart when we're on the throne. Our relationships with coworkers, friends, neighbors cease to flourish when we're on the throne. Our habits, especially our addictive habits, are enforced by the delusion that we get to call the shots, that God doesn't have any say on telling us how we satisfy the cravings of our hearts. But when he's king, it breaks that. Him being king is at the key of everything that our lives were designed to be. And him being king is the spark, the flame, the fuel to a life of deep devotion to him. If I could ask the worship team to come forward, I want to invite us at this time to just enter into a, a time of reflection, of prayer. And if the Holy Spirit leads of confession. My job is not to convict. That's the Holy Spirit's job. And so if anything that was said this morning, if you're feeling convicted, that's a wonderful invitation by God to come and do some business with him. Could we stand to our feet? As we begin to respond in these next few moments in prayer, in worship, in confession, the prayer team is going to be available. They're going to be available to my left, in the back, to your right. At any given moment over these next few moments, you can slip out of your seat and go and receive prayer for anything you need prayer for, anything connected to the message, anything, absolutely. Could I invite us, could we raise our hands in the presence of God as a physical posture of what we desire our inward posture to be like, surrendering, letting go, receiving. Lord Jesus, as we come to you now, I pray that you would disturb us, disturb every tendency in our lives that props us up as king and resist the reality that you are king. Dethrone self. Deliver us, Jesus. And in that deliverance, may we respond in worship, in deep devotion to you. Lord, when we no longer are king, then you can be worshiped as king alone. Let's respond to God in song and prayer. Let's lean into the presence of God together.